Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Well, good morning, Journey Church. And I know a lot of you know me, know a lot of my story, but let me uh, double back for the sake of our introduction. Um, Accepted Jesus at a very young age. Don't remember my oldest sisters claim that they led me to Jesus. Um, Was not a perfect child, but I definitely understood the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God. Yeah, I was a rascal, but there was a sense of God's presence in my life. Um, Baptized at age nine, my dad was a deacon in the church. I had the privilege of being baptized on a Sunday evening service at Solano Baptist by my own father. Things started to click and come together in high school. That is the time when I understood the lordship of Jesus Christ and fully yielded and surrendered my life to the Lord. And I remember this idea, if God wants to cripple me for life or make me strong and athletic, that is his business. If God wants to wreck me or bless me, if God wants to make me Uh, wealthy or poor, he is my Lord. What business do I have to tell him what he wants to do with me? I was bought with the blood of Jesus, and I recognized that, fully yielding to the Lordship of Jesus, while all the while still being full of myself. Went away to college, this became even more clear. Four years later, I was convinced, even though I had a business administration undergrad, I was convinced that I wanted to be a jungle missionary, and if not jungle missionary, I wanted to go to a place where no one else would go. I wanted something adventuresome. I wanted something different. I wanted something even dangerous. But he was Lord. And so instead of getting novelty, instead of getting interesting, instead of dangerous, God took me and put me right back in the church that I had been at since eighth grade in youth ministry, a youth pastor, and I served there faithfully for seven years. Year five and a half, I received a phone call, an invitation, an invitation to candidate at a very important staff position at a very uh, influential and large church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, I want you to understand something. I, I, I have nothing against large and influential churches. Um, in fact, it was rather exciting. And I remember uh, just wrestling that out before the Lord. Um, the church even flew, my wife and I, she was actually pregnant with Holly, who was playing the piano. Our other two kids stayed behind in Scottsdale, but we went out there. We were, we were brought out to Fellowship Bible, Little Rock, Arkansas. And I remember after that trip of just, just grinding through the pluses and minuses, the cost-benefit, um, all those kinds of things, uh, and this invitation to put my name in the hat to candidate for this really important position. It was the first time that I had ever heard this idea that if I went there and I did well, I could, quote, write my ticket anywhere in ministry. And the thought occurred to me, 
Now I can not only just serve the Lord faithfully, but I could serve the Lord and be seen. I could be acknowledged. I could be honored. I could both serve the Lord fully and become famous in all the things that come along with that. Can I just point out, we all long to be noticed. In a crowd of, of uh, aggressive, uh, goal-oriented people that, that want to do something with excellence, like we ha have here at Journey Church, there's something in there that's good. We want to be so proficient at what we do that it would be noticed, that we would be acknowledged, that we would be invited, and that we would be seen. It's normal, it's appropriate, it's even God-given. The question is not whether or not we want to be seen, the question is where, when, and by whom do we want to be seen? Now this morning we go back into the Sermon on the Mount taken the better part of a year to work through the most foundational teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. And this morning we come to uh, uh, a section of scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, you're going to see the scripture up on the screen. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to um, surprise you a little. Because two weeks ago I was surprised. And I want to bring you into this journey. But this is what the Lord says in chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what's the surprise? The surprise is this. Normally, when we read the words of Jesus and we come to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, we instantly assume that this is an introduction for our Lord's ne next topic, and that topic being money, mammon, earthly treasure of financial resources. But I'm here to tell you that before this is an introduction to the next section that we will look at next Sunday, it is a conclusion to the previous section. And this morning we're going to look at it as the conclusion to the last five weeks. Next Sunday, the introduction for another week. Okay? So, we're going to look at this as the summation, um, the concluding statement. But how do we know for sure that it's a conclusion? Can I walk with you just through four quick proofs, and then I'm going to demonstrate how it works. All right, first off is this, contextual clue number one. Jesus uses this same structure throughout the Sermon on the Mount. A cursory reading of the Sermon on the Mount in, in all my life, just reading, wow... Jesus is doing like a 101-point sermon. Like I do like one bottom line and then maybe two, three, or four sub-points. Jesus keeps going and going and going. 
And, and actually, when you begin to study the structure of the sermon, I'm just going to tell you, there was no teacher more brilliant in all of history than Jesus of Nazareth. He'll make an introductory statement, state the principle, and then give illustrations and examples. And then he will give a concluding statement that you look at and you discover it's not just a conclusion, but it's a bridge to the next topic, seamless bridge. And that conclusion becomes the introduction. He's done it before. Two times he does it again here. That's the structure. Secondly, we are looking at this concept from chapter 5. A righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then after six illustrations, you must be perfect. The word telos, complete, holistic, like your heavenly father is perfect or telos. And this is an issue of the heart, not your public image. And when we look at the scripture, the passage that we're looking at today, it takes us back to an issue of the heart. Thirdly, there's a repeated word, shows up twice in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, actually, three times, but um, the little clue of this word, disfigure. The word disfigure was used last Sunday for those who use fasting to get public recognition that they actually disfigure their faces. Because they're after something. So Jesus will use this two times in our text where moth and rust disfigure. We have the word in the ESV, destroy, but it is the same word in the Greek, disfigure. And then again, that our treasure in heaven will not be disfigured. So that's a contextual clue that Jesus is saying, I am tying this to what I previously said. And then the final one, uh, contextual clue number four, the overall message of this section being tied together with three closely related synonyms. The synonyms in the, in the English are reward, rewarded, and treasure. That when Jesus gets to treasure, he is bringing us back to these closely related words in the Greek and Aramaic. The first one, reward, mistos. You're going to hear that word a lot today. It's the, it's the reward due for what you have done, whether good or bad. You get a mistos for it. What mistos are you after? Then there's a different word. It's a verb. It's related. It's translated very similarly in the English, but it is a different word. But it's the Father who rewards us. Now, it's no longer mistos, but a verb, apodidomi, that the Father wants to give us what we've earned. He wants to offer, and he actually really wants to offer this positive sense, this wage earned, this reward. So you've, you've got these two words going on. Um, and by the way, mistos has been used, by the time we get to the verses we're looking at today, it's been used seven times in the Sermon on the Mount, and five times in uh, chapter 6 alone, verses 1 through 18, and then the word epididomai, God wanting to reward us, has happened three times already in the context. Actually, two more times that I'm not going to look at, but um, the whole idea that, that 11 times or more, 
that Jesus is talking about reward and being rewarded. And now he moves to another word that we'll uncover in a moment in the verses that we're looking at. Um, that which we treasure. The reward that we're after. The thing that we actually want. And the question is, is it the right thing? Is it a substantive thing? Is it an eternal thing? Or a shallow and temporary thing? Now I'm going to back you up in the context and just try to, to show you how this all works. All right, and I'm, I'm going to just be pointing out there's so many words that are giving us clues to what, what does Jesus mean by this concluding statement today and what should we take to heart from it. So backing all the way up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, talking about this word mistos, this reward that we're after in the context of sometimes you do good and you get seen by others and praised, but other times you get persecuted. Jesus says this about persecution, rejoice and be glad for your mistos, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Then several verses later in, in verse 46 of chapter 5. In the context of loving your enemies. No big deal when you love your friends and, the, and love the people that love you. That's no, not a big deal. That's not like the, the Father who is in heaven. But notice when Christians follow Christ and love their persecutors and their enemies and the people that do them harm. He says, for, for if you love those who love you, what mistos do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that kind of stuff? All right, now jumping up into to chapter 6, first off in, in verses 1 through 6, and now we get into all these different nuanced words that, that again, if we're going to understand this as a conclusion, we need to understand um, in the three illustrations that Jesus gives us that we spent five weeks looking at in alms, prayer, and fasting. Okay, so that's the context of what we're looking at. And I want you to look for that word reward and rewarded. And what is the reward that some are looking for and others are holding out for? All right? So he says in verses 1 through 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. That's a key word today. I want to be seen. We all long to be seen. But by who? And when? And how? To be seen by them, for then you will have no mistos from your Father who is in heaven. The scriptures that we're looking today is all about where we're putting our treasure. Here on earth or in heaven? Earning it before fellow man or earning it in secret before the gazing eyes of our father go to the next verse verse 2 thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet as do the hypocrites hypocrites occurs three times in these 18 verses so hypocrisy is a big theme in here and, and the hypocrites actually do what they say it's a different kind of hypocrite than what we're used to these hypocrites actually give alms they give to the church they pray and they pray out loud in public that's a good thing and they even fast. The problem with their hypocrisy is why they do it. Who are they doing it for? What are they treasuring? 
So they do it, um, and it says they do it, they sound trumpets, the hypocrites do, in, and they do it in the synagogues and in the streets. They don't even get to the temple. They've got to stop on the street corner, they're so godly. And everyone goes, wow, the guy couldn't even wait for the temple. They're so spiritual. So this is the, the reputation that they're looking for. That they may be praised by others. And I would say that praised is another synonym for being seen. Seen and honored. Seen and lauded. Seen and acknowledged. Seen and praised. They want to be seen as spiritual. Goes on in that same one. Uh, they want to be praised by others. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have received their misthos. And then verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret in your father who sees. We all want to be seen, right? And the father sees. Where does he see? He sees in secret. He will apodidomai. He will reward you. We all want to be seen. We all want to be rewarded. We all have a treasure. But where is it? From whom are we looking for it from? Continue on. The third illustration. Uh, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who, it's repeated again, sees in secret will apodidomy you. I think I, I skipped verse 5, but you're getting the idea, right? You're getting the idea that, that these things are, are connected together. Jump forward into verse 16 through 18. After the Lord's Prayer, he picks it up again and says, When you fast, do not be, uh, look gloomy like the hypocrites. Third time. Um, he's really stuck on this idea of hypocrisy that they're doing the right thing, but they're doing it with the wrong heart, motive, and desire. For they disfigure their faces. There's that, that key word that ties the two sections together. They, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be what? Seen. You see, this like happens over and over and over again. See, see, seeing. They want to be seen. We want to be seen. And Jesus is teaching the multitude and saying, there's hypocrites. Please don't live like them. Please don't desire the same things. Please don't treasure what they treasure. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in, where? Secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me ask you the question, have you ever felt unseen? Have you ever thought that what you were doing, you were doing it for an audience of one, it was a labor of love, and in the end, you got stiffed? You don't have to pay me when I do a wedding or funeral, just so you know, it's off, off the charts, but it is extra innings, and if I don't pay, my wife and kids pay. I'm out of the house, I'm doing an extra thing, okay? And so I would say this, not for my sake, but for the ministers in your future, pay them for what they do, extra innings, just do that. He's going to say, no, you don't owe me a dime. 
But remember, it's not just about him. It's about his wife and his children. They should at least be able to go out to dinner. So just so we got that clear, I don't want it. In fact, next one I do, please don't pay me. Just so you know, it's where my heart's coming from. Because there's other ministers in your life. But I will say this. I know what it feels like in the test to go, Lord, I did this for you. I get a salary. I'm fine. But I'm probably getting paid. And at the end, and maybe it was magnificent, and I'm not going around like, uh, hello. No, you're tucking it in and going, probably not getting paid. But when, when, and when you get paid, you go, whoa, wow, Jesus, I did it for you, and look, I got paid. And, and it's really obvious, you know, like, whoa, I think I, my heart's right. I didn't want this, but I got this. But then test me a little bit more and don't pay me. And I get to know. I get to know who I'm really doing it for. How about you? You did extra innings, a labor of love behind the scenes. And when the acknowledgement came from the platform, you were missed and someone else was thanked. And you go, oh, I did it for Jesus. And in that moment, you know, we're not there yet. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a struggle. We're all going to go through that. And, and you're not in trouble. Hopefully you don't, like, judge me because I just bore my soul. What it's like to, to be a pastor in honorariums and that kind of thing. But I hear it and I see it. And I live it. We want to be seen. But who do we want to be seen by? What reward are we after? Where and when do we want that reward is what is at stake? Well, when Jesus gets into this, this section that we're looking at today, and he's talked about see and seen and uh, reward and rewarded, Jesus then takes us into a new word, a new synonym, thesaurus. Sound familiar? Thesaurus. It means a treasury of words. That's what we load it with. But in the original language, it is the place where we put treasure or the thing that we would actually put in that treasury. And in the, the verses that we are looking at, not twice, but five times, both the noun form and the verb form, but it is the same word. So taking it back into the text today, verse 19, when it says, do not lay up, that's the verb form. Uh, thesarizo. And so it's better rendered so you get the, the rhythm of the Greek. Do not treasure up treasure. Uh, thesarizo, thesar thesaurus. And so two right there, um, and then he comes back in the next verse, but lay up, do it, thesarizo, thesaurus, but treasure up, treasure. And then in the final verse, for where your thesaurus, where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Okay, so you see the picture and when we get to this as a conclusion statement, it's leading us back to the previous 18 verses and even beyond that, that we all have something that we treasure. 
And there are things that we are treasuring up. There, are, there is a reward that we are hoping for. And we could say, I have a little bit of both. And I would say, yeah, that's what it feels like. I agree. We're, we're, we're looking for some kind of treasure, some kind of reward. We long to be seen and acknowledged and thanked and included and invited and platformed and honored. And that's not wrong in and of itself. But it's the where and the when and by whom do we truly want it. What is the treasure that my heart is truly after? What is the reward that your heart delights in? What are you living for? And here's our bottom line for the message today. We must live in this world. And let me just stop there really quickly. What I mean is this. We got to be people that are engaged in life. We got to go to work. And we've got to be Christians. We were told in chapter 5 that we have to let our light so shine that others may see our good works. We've got to engage in alms and prayer, sometimes publicly, in fasting. We've got to be spiritual people. Don't stop living in this real world. Don't stop being spiritual people. You are going to be seen. People are going to take note of your Christ-like character. That's a good thing. Sometimes it's going to get you honored. Sometimes persecuted. Okay? You don't know. You're rolling the dice. You just got to be godly. But at the end of the day, you don't do it for that. We cannot do it for that. We've got to be in this world being the real us. And it might lead to honor or persecution. So while we live in this world, we must always live for the next. That's what Jesus is emphatically trying to teach us and tell us. The hypocrites were doing spiritual things and they were noticed for it. But they were doing it for this life. That was the hypocrisy. Jesus is teaching us and giving us a second chance. All the reasons why we do what we do, spiritual things, good things, right things. Take a look at the Journey Church this past week. My goodness, you cannot do more stuff as a church than we just did this last week. For us, for ourselves, and for the community. Monday night, Capernaum, Friends for Life, party. Upper F jam-packed with our friends with disabilities and those who love them. It was a blast. I was a lobster. I was Larry the Lobster. I was. My, my daughter Holly said, here, Dad, please put this on. And I became a lobster. At the Halloween party, that's Monday night. Tuesday, women's ministry care. That was going on. But then Tuesday night, guess what? This auditorium was jam-packed for a Young Life area fundraiser. Uh, world-class illusionist on the platform. He's a Young Life area director from uh, Colorado. Um, so this morning, I just wore my memorabilia, little Young Life socks. Yep, just go Young Life. My, I got a young wife through Young Life. My wife accepted Jesus through Young Life, and in a church partnership, um, we found each other. And thank you, Young Life. I know several others accepted Young Life, uh, accepted Jesus through Young Life. And so we lived it up, and man, extra innings, and um, 
she didn't do it for this. Uh, she can be mad at me later. Sarah Ross went extra innings. She didn't do it for this moment. I noticed, and that's not wrong. Sarah was awesome that night to organize, and uh, some others, Janet Payne, but she ran sound, and just tables and chairs and all the, I see you, I saw what you did, Journey Church. Go on into Wednesday, student ministry, Thursday, student ministry again, and discipleship class set up over here. Uh, our, our work crew, um, disability ministry work crew, worked their tails off, people like Hannah, people like Timmy, I see you, I see you, you are seen, you are awesome, I know you want something different, you're going to get noticed, okay, that's a good thing. Friday night, I asked for 12 participants for Whitmore Elementary School. We had it like 18 or 20. Martha, I see you. I know you didn't do it to get seen and pointed out. Uh, Colin, you were there too. Uh, Tim Moriarty, you were there. There's so many. Timothy Roden, you were there serving. Um, it was a ton of fun. Hundreds of people at Whitmore Elementary and 18 to 20 of us in our journey shirts. I, I see you. You were there. You were there. Both of you were there back there. Um, listen, but, and you were seen, and we were busy for Jesus, and then Saturday, 27 of our ladies went up on the mountain, Stacy, I see you, thank you, and your team, Robin and Katie, but Stacy, um, enormous labor of love, she didn't do it to get acknowledged in the service, sorry, it's the right thing for me to do to acknowledge all the labor of love from all the people, I can't even go through everyone who was involved this past week. We were a busy and fruitful church for fellowship and discipleship and outreach and letting our light so shine in the community that they might see our good works and glorify our fathers in heaven. We did a lot of stuff. The question is, why'd we do it? Is there at least a part of you that maybe I just left you out and go, I was there. He didn't say my name. Right? You didn't do it. from. It was in public. It was going to be seen, but was your heart to be said thank you from me or someone else. It was it your heart motive that's like what I did got missed, and that's good because I want to be like Jesus. Can I just tell you when you get missed, maybe that's such a gift and a blessing, a barometer, and you to take, take inventory. How did it feel? How did it feel? What did you struggle with? Oh, dear God, it's mostly you, but that little thing right there. Uh, could you continue to change me? Because I want to be in the end. I want to be like you. I want to minister and give and serve and pray for an audience of one, you. Because you are my treasure. My thesaurus. And I'm after you. We must live in this world, but always for the next. Now, here's the question. What happens when we get it wrong? What happens when that thought enters in and go, yeah, and I'm going to write the book, and, and it became a bestseller, and I didn't know it, and it's like, wow, I'm being asked to speak everywhere, and it feels so good, and that becomes the reward. What's the price tag? What's the price tag if these things aren't exposed and rooted out that we're more interested in a name for ourselves than to be a voice of righteousness in the culture. What happens? Can I tell you it's clear in the text what Jesus lays out 
before us that there's two rewards or two treasures. They are either, and this is an either or, um, this is a fill in the blank, guaranteed to decay or endure. Guaranteed. You cannot double cross this principle. Guaranteed to decay or endure, to disappoint or delight. Guaranteed. And the treasure on earth, moth and rust, and all kinds of manifestations. It's not real just moth and rust, though. We do have these things in our world. Um, how many of you guys, guys get uh, moth holes in your clothes over the summer? You pull them out in the winter. You're like, oh my goodness, this is my favorite sweater. You can't wear it anymore. Does that happen to anyone in here besides Stacy and I? Yeah, I can't wear it. Since when did moths start to eat cotton? I thought they liked wool. And yet we have cotton shirts that, and we're unwilling to smell like mothballs. Sorry, sorry for those of you who are okay with mothball smell. I'm not. Um, but listen, that's just a metaphor. And thieves break in and steal. That's a metaphor. Listen, even when we get the thing that we think we, we want, we're Christians, we're under the lordship, and this creeps in our desires and our treasure. We say, please say thank you. By the way, it's, it's the right thing to do to say thank you. Don't be the person that's trying to test the other people by not being grateful for them. You point them out and say thank you. It's their heart that matters. And when you don't get thanked, and you get this beautiful test, and you recognize, yep, that's a moth-eaten, rusty, nasty, thief-stolen reward. Guaranteed. In this lifetime. The thing that we think that we're wanting to get isn't what we actually really want. But then notice the contrast in the next verse that um, to lay up, do it. If be infinitely, eternally, spiritually greedy. Do this. Be a hoarder for eternal spiritual things. Treasure up, treasure in heaven where where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not, emphatic, do not break in and steal. What kind of bargain is that? One is guaranteed to let us down and disappoint. And the other is guaranteed to endure and delight. So much at stake if we don't get beyond what we're looking for in this lifetime and surrender fully to the Lordship of Christ and say, you decide, I'm doing this for you. End of story. Test me if you want to. Don't test me if you want to. But help me be true blue, pure, all the way through. I want to be like Jesus, who lived and served and ministered for an audience of one. Now, we're told throughout the scripture, and I'm just cherry-picking one, John, John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved in his first epistle, not the gospel, but the first epistle where he says, don't love the things of this world. By the way, not all of them are sin. He's just saying, let, let your affections be set on something better and greater than something of this world. He goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When there's a rival greater love like the honor and praise and recognition of people, is greater than that, the honor, praise, and recognition before the Father. 
The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. Some of those things are actually good. It's not just sinful desires. It's just things the body wants. You could be a foodie. And just loving food more than Christ, you are an idolater. So, so the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and then the pride of life. You better acknowledge who I am. You better say thank you. You don't know who you have in your midst. And if you don't like me, I'll take my gift and go somewhere else. That kind of prideful, you better not dishonor me, spirit, what does he say about it? It's not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. It's moth-eaten. It's rusted. And it's being stolen right from underneath our noses by thieves. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Powerful. That's the first thing that's at stake. Is the nature of the treasure itself. And a guaranteed to disappoint or guaranteed to delight kind of formula that Jesus lays out. The applause of mankind is thin and passing away, flimsy and fickle. But the applause of heaven, the applause of God the Father is forever. Here's a second thing that should scare us. And that is this. That not only is it guaranteed to decay or endure, disappoint or delight, but what we treasure will define us, and it is what we will become. You ever notice that with uh, different species of sin? And in the scripture, they become a noun. Like, I, I could struggle with same-sex attraction, or I could actually become a homosexual. I could have stolen or I can actually become a thief. That over time, those things begin to define us. And in the same way, what Jesus says for where your treasure is, what you choose to value there will your heart be also. You know what the heart means there is not the seed of the emotions only, but be, before the Greeks and Jews. The heart is the center of the person. It includes the mind, not the brain, but the invisible, immaterial personality. Somehow the brain is some kind of receptacle that links it to the fleshly body. But the mind is the true thoughts of a person whether in the body or out of the body, the mind, the will, the choices we choose to make, and the feelings. This is the heart of the person. And the heart begins to take on the qualities and reflects what the heart truly loves. So if you demand to be thanked, I want, I, want to, I want nuances. Journey Church, let's be thankful. Let's say thank you to everyone we can remember to say thank you for and to. We're supposed to do that. But as a recipient, to always guard the heart. Don't be weird. Don't be awkward. Just say thank you. Thank you. 
Don't glory to God, 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 glory to God. You don't have to be weird. Just say thank you. Because then this glory to God, glory to God, glory to God becomes the new weird thing where you're trying to earn another kind of reward. Of He's so deferring and humble. Don't be weird. Just say thank you. And then in your cave go, oh God, please, I did it for you. Guard my heart. I thank you for the person saying thank you, but don't let that become my treasure. Cleanse me of those things. And then when you get stiffed, and forgotten, say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I get to feel where I'm at. Because if we don't, we will become the shallow, temporal, rusty, moth-eaten, stolen right under our noses, thanks from mankind. It's what we'll become. This is what really clear. Later on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is taking on the Pharisees even more directly and actually by this point in the story he's picking a fight with them he's making sure he doesn't get out of here alive they are appointed to murder him and he is making sure that they are plenty ticked off and decrying them and he's telling them the truth and they are inflamed with this he's he's called them out all the way along um, even in the sermon on the mount but notice what he says in matthew 23 they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries this is a, a box on their head or their arm loaded with scriptures they've memorized. And they want everyone to see how much Bible they've memorized. They make their phylacteries uh, broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Oh, Rabbi. Oh, Rabbi. The homily last Saturday was unbelievably excellent. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, they love this praise of man. And it's no wonder that we see the whole reputation. When I say Pharisee, everyone goes, ew, hypocrite. Shallow, superficial, decadent hypocrite. That the thing that they loved turned them into what they were. And do we want that? Or do we want to become deep, substantive, authentic, spiritual, enduring sons and daughters of God. Because in time, it will become who we are. A couple examples, um, Philippians 1, 15 through 17. <clears throat> because remember, going back in the context, these are not bad things that we do. Alms, prayer, and fasting. And Paul says, yeah, in the ministry, and pastors and preachers do the same. He goes, some in each preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They want something for themselves, their own name, their reputation. Others from goodwill. They are, are actually more like Christ. They're, they're serving and ministering for an audience of one. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The, the former uh, preach Christ or proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. So it can even happen through churches for centuries. And there's not a single pastor that's not been, been faced with this dilemma and this temptation. Pastors do not walk on water. They don't sit on pedestals. They're the same as everyone else. They are leaders among equals. Feet of clay. And Paul says, yep, there's some really bad ones. And then um, in Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, Timothy is true blue, and he says that as much. I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that I might be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not that of Christ. They all, except for Timothy, man, the first century church seems to be a mess. And then uh, the Apostle John, I quoted from 1 John, this is 3 John. This is his third epistle, and he puts in contrast two people. One bad, one good. Listen to this. I'd love to preach through this, but it would be like half a sermon. But, um, because it's such a short book. In 3 John, verse 9 and 12, he says, I've written some things to the church, but Diotrephes, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. He loves to be seen as the leader, so much so that he will not let the true apostles of Christ come and speak at the church. That's how insecure and needy he is that people would see him as the final word in authority. But then in verse 12, there's a contrast. Demetrius has, good, has received a good testimony from everyone, and it's the truth. We also add our testimony, and you know that we're telling the truth. And then finally, Paul's final words. 2 Timothy chapter 4, final words that are recorded. This is his final writing that's inscripturated. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Demas, in love with this present world. What reward was Demas running for? What was his treasure? This present world. And so how does it change him? It says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Moth and rust and a thief who steals. That in love with this world, he became fickle and flaky. He was in it for self and what he could achieve, what name he could make for himself. And when it started to not turn out to work for him, he left Paul. Maybe even the ministry. And then verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Guess what? Luke eventually wrote Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. And a faithful man who was running after an eternal reward and had a heavenly treasure God used greatly. One, we don't know what happened to Demas. But Luke, we know him. And Demetrius, what a great guy. Timothy, what a good man. What a faithful servant. We know those guys. Who's Diotrephes? They're gone. They're gone from history. They became what they loved, even in the ministry, doing good things for Jesus. They became what they loved. Moth and rust and stolen goods. We must be living for something more than this world. We must live in this world, but always for more. I want to tell you a quick story, play a portion of a song. Um, Warren Barfield, some of you have heard of him, some of you have not. In 2006, I was given a a CD, um, an album called Reach by Warren Barfield. Who is Warren Barfield? Born in 1979 into a ministry family. He is a pastor's kid, amazing musical chops, amazing vocalist, Um, toured with his guitar since college with his parents' blessing. He says in these words, I've been on the stage as an international singer since I was a teenager. It was all I ever dreamed of, and all my dreams have come true. My music has been heard by millions of people around the world, radio, through, through the radio, album sales, streams, and downloads. I've stood on the greatest stages in the country and performed in million in front of millions of people. I've helped raise tens of millions of dollars for people in need around the world with this platform. I'm proud to have been part of all this. 
but something was missing. That was written in 2017. What was missing? In 2006, there's a song on the album called Beyond the Walls of This World. We get a glimpse into what Warren Barfield was struggling with in ministry. And then after a little bit of this plays, I'm going to tell you what he did. Go ahead, Sarah. that's going on inside, 15 minutes of fame, hungry for more, something more than, 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 than bread can satisfy, wanting God's heart, something beyond this life, something beyond the shallow, fickle approval of mankind. He says these words in 2017. I went looking for him. This is what I found at age 37. As opportunity and money were at all-time high, I quit it all. I walked off stage, took my wife's hand, and together with our children, we walked out of an arena, passed the tour bus, got in a car, and drove home. That even in the ministry, he could forego something seemingly sacred for something far more sacred. He describes uh, winning the world and, and gaining the world, fame and stardom, and yet losing his soul and losing his marriage and losing his children. Years that cannot be replaced. And chose a hidden life. A life lived out before an audience of one. We don't know what he's doing. He's not on Twitter. He's not on Instagram. He's not on Facebook. But I'm pretty dang sure he's serving Jesus. Everyone doesn't have to do that. But I will say it might cost you that. 
that you hang up on this world and this life and say, look, I'm tired of running for these shallow, moth-eaten, temporary things like the applause of mankind. And to walk out of that arena past the tour bus, take your wife's hand and start a meaningful life before an audience of one. Of, instead of being seen and praised by others, and that be your reward, a greater treasure, the applause of heaven. Listen, this morning, at the end of this, this chapter, Jesus is going to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let this be your ambition. Let this be your agenda. What does that mean for you? If you're in here and you don't know if you're a child of God, you've never placed faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness begins by inviting Jesus to be your personal savior, putting your faith in Jesus, not religion, not sacraments, not the eightfold path of enlightenment, but in Jesus and Jesus alone. God has no grandchildren, only first-generation adoptions. We're born into this world as sinners, under the domain of darkness, and each one of us must come through Jesus into the kingdom of God. That's where it begins. Those of us who say, yeah, I've done that. Is your heart, is your treasure those things of heaven? To be seen by God who sees in secret. Be rewarded by him. And then finally, Journey Church, what if it was our legacy that we were the hidden church? What if we were the church that is backing everyone else's play? What if we were the ones that were setting other churches and ministries up for success while we stay invisible? Would that be so bad? What if we as a church would give our things away to be used, borrowed, leveraged, to bless the church of Tucson? What if we never got acknowledged or thanked in this lifetime? I think that that's a pretty compelling vision, don't you? That we would be a church that lives for an audience of one. Can you pray with me, Father? Oh, Lord, let our vain ambitions die. That we wouldn't be this, into this for fame and the applause, the fickle applause of man. But Lord, we would live for you. You decide you're the Lord, not only of this church. This is your church. But each one of us, we are your children. And you decide. You decide. Only find in us hearts that are sold out and surrendered to you. An audience of one. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.